all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, where we discuss issues involving your children as they're growing up. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and Program Director of the MedPeds Residency Program. A wise philosopher once said, common things are common. Well, that might seem overly simple, but sometimes the most common medical problems with your children can be just as frustrating. Learning about more about them and how we can treat them can be a big help. So today we'll be discussing the top 25 reasons kids are seen by the doctor, and we'd love to hear your questions and comments as well. You can share those with us by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can send an email to kids at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens from MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. The North Korean government is getting more specific about its threat against Americans on Guam. It announced that within weeks, it may launch missiles around the U.S. Pacific Territory. And Pierre Zalice was there. She says that even though there's some degree of alarm, people are still going about their lives as usual. North Korea this weekend threatened to create an enveloping fire around this strategically important Pacific island. It also said an attack would come this month. Guamanians say while they take the threat from North Korea seriously, it's not a situation they have much control over. Tassi Petticord, who was born and raised in Guam, says she's taking it in stride. The only thing we can do here is hug your loved ones and, you know, at the end of the day, make sure you tell them that you love them. One third of this island is owned by the U.S. military. It's home to Anderson Air Force Base and Naval Base Guam. Together, about 13,000 American military members are based here. Elise Hugh, NPR News, Guam. Pyongyang is threatening to fire four missiles over Japan and into waters around Guam. In response, Japan says it'll respond strongly if North Korea follows through with that threat, noting that such an attack would threaten Japan's existence as a nation. And South Korea is also pledging a strong response. Earlier this week, it was reported that North Korea had developed a nuclear warhead small enough to fit on a missile. The Secretary of Veterans Affairs plans to fire the director of the VA hospital in Washington, D.C. NPR's Quill Lawrence reports it's the first test of a new VA accountability law. Congress has been trying for years to make it easier to fire officials in the VA health system. One recent example, Brian Hawkins, the head of the D.C. VA, was dismissed last month after investigators found dangerous mismanagement at his hospital. This week, Hawkins was reinstated by the Federal Merit Systems Protection Board. But since the scandal at the D.C. VA broke, President Trump signed the VA Accountability Act, which gives the VA secretary more power to fire Hawkins with less review. Critics fear the law will be abused, but it has bipartisan support as a way to improve health care for veterans. Quill Lawrence, NPR News. Smoky conditions from a wildfire are getting worse in one Montana town. 
Montana Public Radio's Eric Whitney says it's so bad that local officials are now recommending people evacuate. There's a big fire burning just a few miles outside Sealy Lake, where about 1,100 people live year-round. And there's another one across the valley. But the town's getting hit from smoke from wildfires further away, too, including those in British Columbia. Meanwhile, floods are the imminent threat for residents in central Mexico, where some areas could see as much as 15 inches of rain. Residents are on alert for possible flash floods and mudslides after the first hurricane of the Atlantic storm season struck north of Veracruz early this morning. As it was downgraded, the storm has slowly made its way across parts of the country. It is now a tropical depression. You're listening to NPR News. Supporters of Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu have held a rally where Netanyahu delivered a rousing speech against the media. He's facing corruption investigations and has accused the media of trying to topple him. Here's NPR's Daniel Estrin from Jerusalem. Netanyahu appeared before a crowd of a couple thousand supporters who cheered and booed at a lively rally. Just like at President Trump's rallies, Netanyahu railed against the, quote, fake news media. He said they were breathlessly reporting on the corruption investigations to pressure law enforcement to press charges, quote, regardless of the truth. He said it was a, quote, obsessive, unprecedented witch hunt to try to overthrow his right-wing government. Police are investigating possible fraud, breach of trust, and bribery involving Netanyahu, who has denied wrongdoing. Political opponents called his speech divisive and inciting. Daniel Estrin, NPR News, Jerusalem. U.S. Republican Senator John McCain, who chairs the Senate Armed Services Committee, is proposing a new U.S. strategy for success, as he put it, in Afghanistan. Declaring the U.S. adrift in Afghanistan, he's recommending the deployment of more U.S. counterterrorism forces to the country. McCain is also proposing troops be given more flexibility in how they go after the Taliban, ISIS, and other violent Islamist extremist fighters. U.S. stocks are trading lower with the Dow off 137 points, more than half a percent at 21,913. S&P 500 and NASDAQ both down more than 1%. This is NPR. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include the Epstein Family Foundation in support of the David Gilkey and Zabiola Tamana Memorial Fund, established to support NPR's international journalists, their coverage, and their commitment to providing the news of the world to audiences back home. This is Southern Remedy, Kids and Teens, with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one 877 MPB ring. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show kids at mbbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. Good morning. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and Program Director of the MedPeds Residency Program. One of the things about being a pediatrician is that you end up seeing about 20 to 30 common conditions or different different presentations of conditions on a weekly basis. And while they may seem straightforward to us as the physician, they may not be if your child has them, particularly if you're dealing with it. Well, today we'll be talking about the 25 most common pediatric diagnoses that are seen by a doctor. But we'd also like to hear from you today for your most common thing that you're dealing with right now with your child or your family. So if you have any questions or comments, you can call us at one eight seven seven. 
672-7464, or you can send an email to kids at mpbonline.org. Hope everybody is staying dry out there. It is like one big rain storm after another. I've got a little rain gauge at my house, and in, in uh, Terry, Mississippi, uh, at my house, got five inches of rain over three days, and uh, luckily we're at the top of a hill, so it's... Uh, uh, staying a little bit drier there, but man, a lot of rain and water. So if you're in a low-lying area, hey, watch out, prepare, uh, keep an eye on those uh, those rain gauges and uh, and uh, stay out of the, the low-lying areas. If you're driving too, that's always a safe thing to do is to not drive through any street that you can't see. If there's water coming across it, you really don't know how deep that is and it only takes a few inches of uh, of water or sometimes even less than that to lose traction on those roads. So slow down, uh, give plenty of uh, distance between you and the next person, and uh, keep your family safe. I just wanted to, uh, to mention one thing before we get started with the top 25. So uh, new medical students just started at UMC, and I was there uh, yesterday for their orientation and Uh, Man, they were some good-looking students that are starting out to be future doctors for the state of Mississippi and elsewhere. And uh, one of the things that they get early on now is called community health advocacy training. It's a fancy term. But basically what they get is some early training in how to take a good blood pressure accurately. And they're, uh, they're trained on different screening techniques for different things like diabetes or other uh, things that could could increase your risk of things down the road. And after they're trained, uh, we really uh, put them to work. So we look to hook them up with different organizations, civic centers, churches, and all kinds of different areas in the state that they can go out and, and use some of this knowledge and to uh, to be used to do those health screenings among the, you know, all out in the state. So if you're interested and conducting a health screening either in your church or civic organization, you can contact Mackenzie Johnson. That's M-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E-J-O-H-N-S-O-N-96 at gmail.com. Or just an easier way is to send an email to mpbonline.org and uh, to uh, Southern Remedy. We can hook you up with that to try to plan those things. But just a a lot of resources out there from these young, bright, well-trained medical students that can help you out with doing those kinds of things. So give us uh, an email, send an email to us if if you're interested in that about involving them. There was a, uh, you know, uh, a famous saying in medical training is, uh, and, and not just in medical training, but in all kinds of different areas, and it's called, and some of you have probably heard this, go where the money is. Now, a lot of people don't know the background for that. Uh, there was a bank robber back in the 20s and 30s. His name was Willie Sutton, and they called him Willie the Actor Sutton because he had all these different ways that he would rob banks. So he would dress up as these different people, uh, all these different disguises, but he wasn't very good at it. So he got put, he got caught a lot and uh, got put in jail. I'm not sure why they didn't just keep him in jail, but he kept getting out of jail, you know, and then going right back and robbing banks. And there was a there was a physician that took an interest in his uh, illustrious career. And he went to interview him. So the legend says there's not a whole lot of documentation about this. There's a physician named George Dock who went and interviewed Willie the actor Sutton. And he said, uh, Mr. Sutton, why do you keep robbing banks? And his answer was, because that's where the money is. 
So uh, that's that's you know another thing that we we apply that to in medicine is common things are common. In other words, the most common things that you're going to see are the things that present most commonly. And while sometimes you can see, uh, as we call them, zebras, things that aren't very common here, uh, most of the time you're going to see horses. So if you hear if you hear hooves in the background, it's probably going to be a horse, at least here. Uh, if you're in Africa, it might be a zebra, uh, or as they say, zebra. Um, but, uh, you know, every once in a while you're going to hear something else that's off the wall. But most of what we see in pediatrics is very common, and it's uh, common presentations of those things. And, you know, there can be perceptions by different families coming in that their child has something really serious. I tend to listen very closely when a mom or a a caregiver comes in and says, I just don't, this might be strep throat, but I think something else is going on here with my child. You know, that's a red flag that all of us as healthcare providers should uh, take, uh, um, you know, just slow down a little bit, listen to that carefully and do a thorough exam every time you see somebody, but especially when you hear a parent do that. But most of the time, you're going to have common things. So, you know, if we uh, just pulled this from a a listing of the most common uh, coded problems in pediatrics, now we have coding. That's a dreaded thing for a physician to say that, but that's the way that we describe what your child has and put it in the chart. And a lot of that is tied to billing and to insurance companies and that kind of thing. But they track these. Uh, One of the good things is you sort of know how common these things are that physicians uh, look at. So there's there's 25. Now, the catch is that there's really 24. It's just one counts as two because of the different presentations of it. So if you're if you're really keeping up with me, all those accountants out there and saying, oh, wait a minute, he only listed 24. It's because one of these actually counts as two. So we're going to dive into that today. And by the way, if you have any kind of health uh, concerns for your child or your family, give us a call today at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send an email to kids at mpbonline.org. All right, number one is an encounter for a routine health exam. So what is that? It's sort of like a wellness visit. So a lot of people don't understand the need for these. So particularly with children and teenagers, we do these periodically really as a checkpoint to make sure that they are progressing as they should in development and growth. So for instance, a newborn after they're discharged from the hospital, barring any kind of complications with anything, uh, they would come in about two weeks um, after they're discharged from the hospital, after they're born. And then after that, at about six weeks of age, somewhere between six and eight weeks of age, and then two months after that, and then two months after that, and then things might space out a little bit. So all those are particular times that we look at them to make sure that they're growing uh, appropriately, that they're not having any problems. And they're very important because, um, you know, we, we know that if you don't do those periodic health exams, then you end up missing some things that, that you know, may not be overtly um, um, uh, things that, that a parent might see in front of them. So that's an important thing to do. And then, of course, to, uh, you know, to prepare them for what's ahead. Uh, a lot of that is information. You know, pediatricians, uh, you know, we, when we train pediatricians and medical students in pediatrics, we train them to really focus on communication. 
uh, healthy communication with patients that's ongoing that really um, um, you know really emphasizes those things that you can do to keep your your kids healthy and some of the warning signs to look at and that of course changes with time uh, even if you get to older ages say you know at uh, in the teenage years you still need to to check in most of the time we say once a year for your teen to come in for a routine health examination and particularly if they're doing other things like sports because uh, you know things can pop up it might be uh, abnormalities that might affect them from a health standpoint um, as they participate in those talking about the top 25 things this morning uh, on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens you can call us with your question if you want to add something to that or we might cover some of the things that y'all bring up uh, the number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can email us at kids at mpbonline.org number two is upper respiratory infection that's right all those nasty things that uh, that uh, like to hang out in the nose in the back of the throat. When we say upper respiratory, that's everything above the chest. So it doesn't include things that are in the chest. Now, they can still cough uh, because of secretions that run down the back of their throat. Uh, and you may think, well, they may have something lower than that. But one of the things that your pediatrician or physician is, is doing when they listen to them in their chest is trying to determine if it's actually coming from the chest itself in the lungs or the tissues around the lungs or maybe even, you know, uh, something in, uh, that involves the heart in the chest or is it something that's above that. 90% of acute upper respiratory infections are going to be self-limiting. In other words, there's not much you can do about it, but it's going to be go away on its own. And uh, most all of those are caused by viral infections, although there can be some bacterial infections that cause those. Let's go to Jean in Natchez, Mississippi, who has a question about a kid's elbow. Good morning, Jean. Oh, are you there, Jean? All right, Jean, are you with us? Yes, sir. All right, thank How are you today. Good. Thank you for calling in. All right. I have a 10-year-old son that's got a wart on his elbow, okay. and I'm concerned. Oh, you still there, Jean? Oh, is it? And second is, how could I get rid of it? Okay. I lost the, the first part of that. What was your first question? Uh, the first part was, what causes it? Sure. And the second part is, what can I do to get rid of it? Yeah. And you said he's 10 years old, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Elbow is a, is a nasty place for that because you end, I mean, even if you don't have a wart on your elbow, you end up bumping up against things. And a lot of times if you have a wart there or a growth there, it's just going to get continually bumped, and sometimes it can be a big right. nuisance. Warts in kids and adults are caused by a virus. Uh, there's there's several different types of viruses that cause warts, and uh, they're spread most of the time by direct contact. Uh, those warts set up shop in the in the skin, the uh, cells uh, on the, of the skin, and they cause them to proliferate. They cause them to increase in number, and then you get this big heaped up hard keratinize is what we call it, um, a, a collection of cells. And, uh, you know, most of the time they just cause their cosmetic. Uh, most of these will go away, but it takes a long time. A lot of them will take years before they go away. Uh, you know, if you talk to most dermatologists, you're probably looking at three to five years. But again, they can get in the way, you know, if certain areas of the body, they can, they can uh, cause a lot of problems. You can bump them, they can bleed. Um, yeah. 
kids can pick at them sometimes and they can get secondarily infected uh, just because it's there. So they are caused by a virus, and uh, and the way to get rid of them, there's several different ways. A lot of the over-the-counter things that you can start off with, particularly on a on a 10-year-old with a ward in this location on the elbow, uh, they're fine. There's uh, acetic acid. There's lots of other acidic compounds that basically sort of rev up your body's immune system, and they also cause those cells to sort of peel off. Um, if if you can, you know, some some of you may have. Uh, seen years ago now there was a study on using duct tape everybody thought it was a joke uh, because uh, people just put duct tape over these warts and trying to see if it went away it was a it was sort of a, a home remedy that people were using turns okay. out that actually works pretty well particularly <laughs> if you yeah particularly if you combine it with some of those over-the-counter liquid preparations and you put that on there and then you cover it up. Probably doesn't matter if it's duct tape versus something else, but the occlusion of it does something that makes it go away. Um, if you go to the doctor, there's several ways they can take these things off. They can freeze them off. They can burn them off. They can they can shave them off. Uh, if you do those things, you, it can come back, uh, even with any kind of treatment, whether that's over the counter or at the physician's office. Um, but again, it's mostly cosmetic. So I would try some of those over-the-counter things and just keep a Band-Aid on it. Uh, if you can do that for your 10-year-old, that's always a challenge. Um, and then if it doesn't go away, say, you know, in a couple of months or if it's getting bigger, then you can, you know, check in with your physician and see if they can do it in their office or if they can refer you to somebody else like a dermatologist that can do that. Okay, thank you so much. Sure, thanks for calling, Gene. Yeah, warts, man, those are common, uh, common things. And for some kids, nobody really knows why some people get warts and why some people don't. It does sort of correlate with your immune system. It doesn't mean that you're going to get all kinds of other diseases or anything. It's just everybody's immune system is a little bit different uh, set up that way. But some people get warts and some people don't. Let's go to Michelle and Meridian. Good morning, Michelle. Are you there, Michelle? Yes, I am. Thank you for calling. Uh, yes, I have a question about the HPV vaccine. Sure. Uh, what are your feelings on that? How early boys and girls should get it? And then can it be given a little later in life, like in the late teens or early 20s? Yep. Uh, if the kids have not been sexually active or even if they have been. Right. Yeah. And, and in fact, Michelle, a good portion of last week's show, we, we covered this with, uh, you know, our adolescent vaccinations and sort of what's recommended. And uh, HPV was one of those things we, we talked about. Just to remind everybody, HPV is a virus, human papillomavirus. Uh, it is a sexually transmitted virus. Uh, it's in the sort of in the background in a lot of individuals. In other words, it can be totally asymptomatic. But the main danger from HPV is uh, cervical cancer and several other types of cancers. And uh, we now have a vaccine, HPV vaccine, that uh, can help prevent that um, by uh, sort of targeting this virus that causes the majority of cervical cancers. And you mentioned about how early to get this. Right now it's being recommended in uh, like age uh, 11. Uh, So there are some other uh, yeah, other vaccines that they normally are required at that point, and that's when we would recommend getting it, although it can be given down to age 9. If you give it before the age of, of 15, uh, you only have to give two doses of it, uh, but if you, it's done after that, it's a three-dose series just because of the differences in the immune system. 
Uh, you mentioned, can you wait till the, they're older? Sure, you can do that. In women, uh, you can get it up to age 26, although after age 18 to 21, depending on your insurance, it can be more difficult to do that. Males, uh, the cutoff is a little bit younger than that. It's 21, unless there's some other extenuating circumstances. Really, sexual uh, contact or sexual activity, uh, you know, it's not really, if you wait till afterwards, then you're sort of behind the ball on that. So, you know, they may have been exposed, and again, you don't know. I mean, a lot of people carry this virus and are spreading it, you know, from person to person, and you just don't know uh, unless you test for it. So, um, you know, that's that's the recommendation. You can wait till later. But again, and there's plenty of studies that have looked at, you know, one of the early concerns by a lot of people was, uh, is this going to cause increased sexual activity? And the answer is no, uh, it doesn't do that. It doesn't have any increased risk of other sexually transmitted diseases, HIV, syphilis, all the rest of them. Uh, it's, uh, you know, pretty good vaccine. First vaccine against cancer. And I, I can tell you, you know, Having I actually just heard one of my patients, uh, they had a niece uh, that died in their 20s of cervical cancer. And it's, uh, you know, it's just heartbreaking when you have somebody particularly young that has something like that. And now we have a way to help prevent that. So that's the recommendations. Hope that helps you there, Michelle. It does. Thank you. Sure. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, and uh, we're talking about the top 25 things. I hope we can get to the top 25, but we're going to prioritize your top 25 questions this morning. If you have a question about the health of your child or your family, you can call us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 or email us at kids at mpbonline.org. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, back to our top 25 list. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. Last time on the Gestalt Gardener. Come in here and talk to him, Billy. Wait, wait. What are we doing? Is this pass-filled around the room day? That going for is more of a potted plant hanging basket, hanging off the side of type of thing, rather than planting in a hole type of thing. And in the hole itself, put you some ivy or some impatience, something else. But I wouldn't plant the, the a sagging fern in a hole. That sounds good. I'm going to hand you back over to stand. No, no, no. We're going to move on the next call. Tune in to the Gestalt Gardener tomorrow, 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy, Kids and Teens, with Dr. Jimmy Stewart. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, kids at mbbonline.org. Welcome back. 
back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and we're talking about the top 25 problems that people present to their doctor, particularly pediatric doctor, with. And I uh, got a lot of good questions, too. Got a question during the break uh, that they uh, needed to, to sort of check out, and they were asking, what's the most common cause of jock itch? So I think everybody knows what we're talking about when we do that. So that's uh, jock itch is a fungal infection, so fungi are these little things that are sort of cousins to mushrooms. Uh, so they like moist places, and there's all kinds of different ways that they can affect the body. Usually they like, again, to live in a moist area. So that's like what we call intertriginous areas. So those are, uh, you know, in the groin, uh, in between your toes, uh, underneath uh, your toenails, uh, even in the hair sometimes. Now, uh, we live in a moist climate, so there's lots of these things that are all around. You can get so clean, you can clean yourself off, but if you have a, a place that's wet, then uh, you, that's at risk to have a fungal infection there, and jock itch is, is one of those uh, that can, can be a problem. Uh, and again, it can be other places too. You can have fungal infections on your on your feet. Uh, a lot of people have them in other places. There, uh, there are tons of topical antifungal agents. Um, I like to use some of the, the creams or ointments over the powders. And the reason is, particularly in the groin area, if you use a powder, it tends to sort of to cake up. Uh, and, that you, you know, if you look at them, they're like, oh, it'll dry it out. Well, it still doesn't really dry it out very well. And, and again, in our humidity, with people sweating all the time, it is hard to stay dry anyway, particularly during the hot months. Uh, so that's going to be your first thing is to stay dry. I've heard Dr. Rick say on his show, too, you know, one of the most common things to do is to, if you leave water between your toes, and if, if you have other, um, you know, other chronic conditions, particularly diabetes, it will set you up for these fungal infections. So drying those areas off are, are the number one thing, and then using a topical antifungal agent. And most of those are very safe to use over the counter. If it persists beyond that, then you want to ask your doctor about other things. There are some oral agents or oral medications that you take by mouth uh, that can uh, that can help. Usually, these things take a while. Uh, if it's if you catch it when it first occurs, uh, and just use a topical agent, make sure you're drying the area off. That's that's uh, probably not going to be too long. But if they've set up shop, uh, it can take months sometimes, particularly if they're in the nails or the hair. Those are the ones that cause problems, and we're talking three to six months, and they can come back at that point. So common thing, particularly here in the South, and again, some people get this and some people don't. Some people never had a problem with that, uh, with fungal infections, but uh, can be it can be a problem uh, for a lot of people. Back to our top twenty-five list. So we had the first two. Number three would be otitis media. So that's an infection in the ear, and this is the one that's actually counted twice because there's superative and non-superative. So uh, the eardrum helps us to hear. Behind the eardrum, closer to the center of the head, there's the, the inner ear. And the inner ear, not only does it uh, have the bones that transmit those sounds from the eardrum to the sensory apparatus that tells our brain, interprets all those things, those sound waves around us as sound uh, and different pitches and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it also has these structures that control balance. They're called the semicircular canals. So a lot of times kids will come in, usually they have pain with this. Uh, they may have had a couple of symptoms the day 
or two prior to that with a little runny nose, a little upper respiratory uh, symptoms. And then all of a sudden they get a fever uh, or an increase in their temperature uh, with this ear pain. And usually those are either a viral infection or bacterial infections, but a lot of times it has more to do with the drainage system for that inner ear and a a tube, which is sort of a canal between that inner ear and the back of your throat called the eustachian tube. Uh, Not everybody who has ear infections needs tubes. Uh, The tubes I'm talking about are the ones our ear, nose, and throat uh, doctors put in uh, that really is sort of a pop-off valve for that pressure that's built up in the inner ear to the outer ear canal. That's the one that you, when you look in the ear, that's what you see. Um, and most of these will get better with, with antibiotics. There are some instances when your physician may look in there and say, you know, it doesn't quite look bad enough to do antibiotics. Let's see how we do with another couple of days. Um, they're being cautious because of antibiotic resistance and because we now know that putting somebody on antibiotics every time you see these these presentations is probably not a good thing. That's something you may want to ask your physician to uh, just ask them, hey, are antibiotics really needed in this in this instance? And there may, may be some other things that they may do for that. So that's otitis media. Number four, acute pharyngitis. That doesn't mean it's pretty. It means it happens really quick. So a pharyngitis is a sore throat. Um, and again, these can be caused by bacteria. They can be caused by viruses. Sometimes those viral infections can be just as nasty as having streptococcal pharyngitis or strep throat. Um, they can present in many, many of the same ways. The, part, the difference between a bacterial infection and the viral infection is really in how we treat it. If we think that it's a, a bacterial infection, maybe your physician did a strep test or did a throat culture uh, to determine if it's bacterial versus viral. Uh, if it's bacterial, though, that we really have a high suspicion of that or culture or a strep test, then we'll go ahead and, and treat with an antibiotic. If it's viral, though, those, again, they have to sort of run their course, and uh, antibiotics aren't really uh, useful in the treatment of those and can cause some problems down the line with resistance. Uh, but most most of the time, those are sort of self-limiting. But really common this time of year. When a child goes to school, I don't care what grade your child's in, most of the time that's a pretty stressful time. And, uh, you know, you, usually this week, the first week, we don't see a whole lot. Next week we start to see this influx of kids that either have been exposed to other kids at school or their immune system is down just from the stress of going back to school uh, and they have a lot of problems with that. So acute pharyngitis. Talking about the top 25 things that kids come in to see their doctor for this morning on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, you can call us with your contribution to that list at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to kids at mpbonline.org. Moving on along with our list, asthma. So asthma is a chronic condition that kids get. Um, Usually they'll present uh, sometime between age 1 and 10. However, it can present at any age, even for adults. If you've never had asthma and now you're in your 50s or 60s and you think, well, I'm not going to get asthma, you could get it. You could develop it. And asthma is uh, a, a spasm, a narrowing of the uh, airways, particularly the airways way out in the peripheral uh, parts of the lung. And the problem with that is it means that you can't breathe adequately. You can't really uh, transport oxygen and carbon dioxide in the same manner 
that you could if you didn't have that. Asthma, in, in uh, it's a little bit similar to COPD or emphysema that we see in adults. However, it's reversible. It means it comes and goes. So you could be breathing fine, and then something happens, something that your body reacts to. That can be an allergen. It's something that you're allergic to, maybe that you're breathing in. It can be uh, cold or heat. Uh, it can even be stress-related, something that those airways go into spasm, the muscles go into spasm. They're just a little bit more sensitive to different things. And that will require treatment uh, with most of the time with an inhaler. There's different inhaled medications that can, uh, that can both uh, treat the acute asthma exacerbation or to help prevent that. So a lot of medications we, we uh, prescribe for asthma or inhaled medications that you, um, that you would take, even if you're not having an attack right then and there. And uh, the beauty of that is that if you, if, you know, if you can lessen the amount of attacks, then that person is not going to, you know, obviously they can go about their business and day-to-day activities uh, with, uh, with different things. Uh, but it can be, uh, you know, I've seen lots of kids who got into serious trouble with asthma because they sort of blew off the wheezing uh, and, uh, you know, didn't really get it uh, uh, taken care of in a timely fashion. All right, let's go to Don in Water Valley, aptly named on a week like today with all kinds of water. Good morning, Don. Thanks for calling. Well, thank you. And uh, I'm calling about uh, children with ADHD. Uh, it seems that every other child has it now. What's the cause of this? So ADHD is actually on our list, Don, so you you got to it, man. Uh, so a, attention deficit disorder. Now, that's ADD. There are two main types, well, actually three main types of this. There's a hyperactivity type, there's an inattention type, and then there's a combined type. Um, nobody really knows what causes ADD. Um, now you mentioned there's a lot more of it, you know, diagnosed these days, and that's true. Uh, but I will say this: I would be cautious with that as a diagnosis because it, there are lots of other things that can cause the same symptoms. Most of the time, a family will bring in their their son or daughter and say, "I think my child has ADD," or the teacher says that they have ADD um, because they're not paying attention like they they should. They're not staying on task. They may be overly hyperactive, going from one thing to another. Um, all of us approach different tasks differently. And to have that diagnosis, you really have to have good testing for it. Unfortunately, a lot of physicians uh, would go ahead and prescribe medications without even doing any screening. Uh, and, and you do need to do that. You do need to make sure that your physician is doing at least some preliminary screening and probably psychometric testing on that child to make sure they don't have a learning disability like dyslexia uh, or other things. So there's lots of other things that that could be causing the same symptoms. Um, Everybody, you know, rightly so is concerned about medications. Medications can be useful in the treatment of ADD, but they're not the only thing that you treat it with. And uh, a lot of times just controlling the environment of the child, say when they're studying or maybe, you know, they're in the back of the room and there's too many distractions for them that they can't concentrate moving them to the front of the room. Um, Those are good, useful things that you can do, making sure they get enough sleep. Uh, Exercise is also an excellent thing to, to, uh, you know, to make sure that they're getting. 
So, you know, there's a lot of, of, of uh, different ideas about why we're seeing more diagnoses. Probably there are kids that are being diagnosed with it that don't have it. Uh, and there's probably overuse of stimulant medications. On the other hand, there are some kids that are really, you know, they're really uh, struggling with school and social skills with other people who have ADD. Um, and, you know, for them, in addition to those other things, sometimes medications can help them to stay on task, to do good in school, to have those good social behaviors with other people. So, well, nowadays they give out <clears throat> Ritalin and these uh, other kind of drugs like this, but back in the 50s they gave out Librium and, and tranquilizers. Yeah, and that would... That that would be inappropriate these days. We just didn't have a lot of the same medications that we do now. Uh, with the you know with the you mentioned Ritalin is one of them, methylphenidate, and some of the the other ones. But again, Don, I, hey, I I agree. We probably give out way too much of even that. Librium is a totally different type of medication, and uh, it's a uh, sort of a, it's a, a benzodiazepine, which uh, sort of calms people down. Uh, it, but that, you know, you have just as bad learning outcomes with that. If you put a kid on that and certainly they're much more dangerous, uh, to use in kids. So, um, thankfully, I can tell you, it doesn't do anything when you have ADHD. I took it for five years as a child. Well, it it, it seems contraindicated to give somebody something that's like Ritalin. That's like a, like a, you know, speeds you up when you're already fired up and, uh, your foot shaking all the time. You can't be quiet and something. But the, I, I don't know how it works like that. It seems strange. Yeah, it's the part of the brain that, that controls concentration, Don. That's, that's, that's why it's, uh, it's useful. And I, I tell you, if you, if you've seen a kid that true, again, truly has ADD, that's, that, that's, uh, you know, that's tested, they've done everything to try to control the environment, to try to make sure that they, they stay on task with things. Uh, you know, when you put them on the lowest amount of, of what's appropriate and it's not appropriate for everybody, um, they, you see a huge difference in behavior. And, I, I, you know, I'm going to disagree with you on the Librium. That, again, at that time, I know that was one of the things that they treated people with, and it might have had a good outcome in your case, but that would be inappropriate today with kids uh, to put them on that just because of potential side effects. All right. Thank you, Don, for calling. I hope that that cleared that up a little bit. But ADD is one of those things that people come to the doctor. And, you know, the, the, the thing I think people don't realize is it's not a quick fix. It's something that you have to make sure over time that you're, number one, getting the right diagnosis uh, and then talk about those other things. And you got to have buy-in from the parents, uh, from others in the, in the home. Don't know how many times that if, even if a kid does have ADD, uh, you know, they'll, you'll end up, uh, the, the parents or, or somebody else will say, well, let's just put them on medication. We're not really going to control other things. And they're doing their homework with all kinds of distractions. And now it, it can be a, a hard thing that you have to look at everything. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy. We're talking about the top 25 reasons kids come to the pediatrician. We're plugging away at those, but taking time for you to call in if you have any kind of questions. You can reach us at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. We'll be right back after this break.
An evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. As an MPB listener, you probably know of Radio Reading Service, our free closed-circuit network for the print impaired. But did you know that means Radio Reading Service isn't only for the visually impaired and that MPB provides the special receiver you need for the service? Call 601-432-6301 to see if you qualify for MPB's Radio Reading Service. 601-432-6301. There's so much more to know. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy, Kids and Teens with Dr. Jimmy Stewart. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, kids at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy, Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. Sorry about that. My brain got ahead of me there. I'm Dr. Jimmy. We're talking about the top 25 reasons you bring your kids to the physician. And uh, plugging on along, got plenty of time for you to call in if you have a question or a comment about anything. You can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or shoot an email to us at kids at mpbonline.org. So an encounter for a follow-up exam after some other treatment. So this could be follow-up from the hospital or something happened and you want to follow up on that. Really, it's sort of a tie the loose ends up uh, kind of thing. Maybe there's some a couple of lab tests that a physician in the hospital wanted you to check. Those are important. A lot of times kids go home from the hospital. They don't have those follow-up things, and we sort of miss an opportunity to make sure things are getting totally better. Number seven would be allergic rhinitis. So these are sort of general allergy-type symptoms that involve your nose. That's the rhino part of that. Think about a rhinoceros. Uh, So this is caused, again, by an allergic um, response to something that's out there, and it may be something that you uh, come in contact with in the environment, like pollen, uh, you know, inside. Maybe it's a perfume or something, that some kind of cleaner that you spray. And uh, it can be a big deal. Avoidance is the biggest, the, the easiest thing to do. Of course, you can't do that in the South with the pollens that we have, even indoors. Uh, it can still be a problem for some people. Um, but there are some medications that you can use. Antihistamines are used a lot. Uh, if you don't want something that's circulating around in the, in the uh, you know, in the total, the whole body system, you can use uh, uh, with older kids, you can use a uh, inhaled steroid, which you uh, not an inhaled steroid, a steroid in the nose that you just spray there that just stays right there. And then there's some other medications that can be used to treat that too. Sinusitis, so sinus infections are common. Uh, again, sinus infections are hard to diagnose, and the reason is because um, you really have to have symptoms for a prolonged period of time. Acute sinusitis is almost always, and again, that's something that happens really quick. 
um, uh, over the last couple of days. They present to the physician and kids got some stopped up nose. They look like they have bags under their eyes. They've got some pain maybe in their uh, upper part of their face. Uh, maybe their upper teeth hurt. Um, they may even have a lot of nasty, you know, yellowish pus coming out of their nose from the sinuses draining out. Um, believe it or not, most of those get better on their own. So again, it's caused, it's a little bit like otitis media, like ear infections, in that those sinuses normally drain out. They're the cavities in our heads that, you know, keep our heads from weighing a ton, uh, sort of humidifier, all kinds of different theories about why they're there, but they're there. And uh, when those normal drainage systems clog up, and a lot of times that's just from a viral infection in the nose uh, or an allergic reaction to something in the nose, then those, uh, you know, those, those cavities fill up with all this excess liquid. There's bacteria in there anyway normally, and then the bacteria can overgrow. Uh, a lot of times just washing off those pathways, if you've got an older kid that can just do the nasal saline washes, a lot of older Kids and adults will use a neti pot. Those are totally safe. Easy way to wash out those openings so that they can drain out. Rarely, if it goes on long enough, you may need some antibiotics for that. But most of the time, you can use uh, topical agents in the nose itself because most of those sinuses drain where you can get to them, particularly the maxillary sinuses, frontal sinuses. You can get to those pretty easily um, in the, in, through the front part of the nose if you're just washing things out with, uh, with saline. Number nine, dermatitis. We talked about a couple of different skin problems earlier, like warts. Uh, dermatitis is just really anything that's it's irritating or affecting the skin. And that can be allergic dermatitis from just uh, contact with different things. My favorite is a nickel allergy. Uh, nickel, not like the nickels uh, that are coins, but uh, the metal nickel. So belt buckles, sometimes some jewelry can be uh, have a nickel alloy that it's made out of. And it's a fairly common allergen. A lot of people are allergic to that. Usually they'll come in, they've just bought a belt, maybe this time in, you know, time time of the year with school for their kid. And they they come in and they've got this rash on their uh, abdomen, uh, lower abdomen. And it's really a cool thing to diagnose. I mean, it's simple. You have to get a new belt though, uh, or change, you know, maybe out from a favorite piece of jewelry. Um, but that, that can be a common thing. Irritant uh, dermatitis is another thing, maybe just something that they're, that's not necessarily an allergen, but something that's irritating uh, their skin. Uh, we talked about ADD briefly. Uh, that was number 10. Number 11 is cough. Cough in and of itself can be caused by a number of things. It can be caused by allergic rhinitis where you have allergy problems with particularly if the cough is at night or when the child is laying down, they pull all those secretions in the back of their throat and it causes a cough reflex. It can be uh, from an infection, so a viral infection, the upper airways can cause that. It can be from reflux. If uh, the child has a problem with reflux of material back up from the stomach, uh, they can cough again primarily at night. Uh, Or it can be a problem in the lower airways like pneumonia. So it just sort of depends on different things. Uh, but cough is a common one. Um, you know, speaking of things that we used to use and that we now know that can have a lot of bad side effects, cough medications. There are certainly a ton of those over the counter. The reason, usually if you see something over the counter and there's 50 different varieties of it, it probably means that most of those varieties, if not all of them, really don't work too well. I mean, if there was one thing that, that uh, worked really well, everybody would just go to it. And for you, you know, one, one or two things might work. 
But cough medications in children, particularly if they're, you know, if they're less than school age, are a bad idea. Uh, we've had lots of deaths from those, even over-the-counter uh, cough medications. It's not a good idea to give those to kids. Um, most of the time you can treat them with other things and they get better. You know, common thing, if you want to stay away from medications, uh, honey, uh, a teaspoon of honey at night uh, works wonders. They've actually done a study on that, and it uh, has two main effects. It sort of thins out that mucus, and it directly inhibits the cough reflex. So, you know, that's one thing that works, and it tastes great. Uh, I think we had a caller last week about honey, you know, using for allergies. There's another use for honey right there. So cough is one thing. Viral infections is another. And viruses can do a number of things. The most common uh, location for viral infections is around the nose and upper airways. But they can they can affect other parts of our body as well. And the viral infections we're talking about are ones that usually are self, self-limiting. Strep throat is another one. And again, that's that can be diagnosed pretty simply by looking at the child, seeing what kind of symptoms they have. And if it fits, we'll sort of step up uh, our diagnosis, uh, make or confirm our diagnosis with a rapid strep test and uh, or a uh, throat culture and then treat that child with an antibiotic. Bronchitis, um, that's one that's, that's listed. In, young kids don't have a whole lot of bronchitis. They have bronchiolitis, which is a different location in the airway. Uh, older kids can have this. And most often it's due to some type of virus, whether that's an adenovirus, rhinovirus. There's a lot of them out there that can cause that. Conjunctivitis. So this is an eye infection or an infection on some of the surface layers of the eye. Um, It can, uh, you know, most of these are due to a a viral infection. Adenovirus is the most common. Uh, But there can be some other bacterial infections most of the time, uh, a child may not u- need an eye drop. You know, everybody says, can they get an eye drop? They've got this. And, you know, uh, a lot of people would go ahead and just prescribe that just in case it's bacterial. It's sort of impractical in most places to culture out the eye to see if there's a bacterial infection. Sometimes you might could diagnose that just by looking at the child. But most of the time, there's no real good way to diagnose uh, between a, a viral infection or a bacterial infection. Uh, reflux, we mentioned a little bit, is causing cough, and this is the same kind of thing that adults get. Children can get that too. Um, young kids get reflux, but it's not necessarily a disease process. Everybody who takes care of a baby has a burp cloth on their shoulder for a reason, and that's because their esophagus just isn't tight enough where it connects to the stomach. That when that stomach uh, when that stomach sort of enlarges like a balloon, there's only one way for that to go, and that's back up. It's a little bit easier for it to go back up than than back down. Ninety percent of kids with reflux uh, it, that uh, is right around the time of birth, if it's bad, ninety uh, percent of those will get better by the time they're a year of age. There are some very rare circumstances where you'd have to intervene uh, with uh, with surgery medications. Again, they don't do much for the reflux. They cut down on the irritability uh, just because of the of the gastric contents coming back up because they changed the pH of that. A couple of other things I'll just mention. Influenza with respiratory ma- uh, manifestations, we see a lot of that uh, late fall to uh, early winter, all the way through winter. Actually, we're seeing more of it now just because of travel and the way people move around in the country. Um, and uh, flu shot, great way to prevent that. 
Um, and, uh, and of course, if you're, you know, getting out, make sure you're washing your hands. It's hard to do with kids though. I mean, they're just not going to do hard to do with adults actually. Um, gastroenteritis. <clears throat> so gastroenteritis is sort of your stomach bug is what a lot of people call that. So vomiting diarrhea is a lot of the ways that it presents. Um, again, most of those self-limiting, if you've got a small child, uh, one of the things that we're going to, when you come to the office or come to the ER, one of the things we're going to ask you is, uh, is this child keeping things down? Are they urinating? Are they making tears when they cry? We're going to look at them and at, at their exam and make sure they're doing those kinds of things because most of the times kids can keep up with that. But sometimes they need a little help, maybe a little bit of IV, IV fluids in the ER, in the office, maybe a short stay in the hospital. Fever is a common one. Uh, it's good. It, it's a good thing to keep in mind that fever is our body's natural process by which it fights off disease, whether that's a bacteria, whether that's a, a virus. Um, you usually, unless there's unless your physician has told you otherwise, for your individual child, uh, fever is a is a fine thing to have. Your child's not going to have any problems with fever except in rare circumstances. Um, a fever of one or two days is not something to worry about again in, in most of the population. Um, and it's much more important to figure out what's causing that. And if it's a viral infection that's going to be sort of self-limiting, there's not really much to do. Uh, fever is uncomfortable. Um, if you've had a fever, uh, you know, usually you'll have other symptoms with that. Uh, so it's perfectly fine to give you know, ibuprofen like tol- or, or Tylenol uh, to a child uh, if they had that, but it's, you know, for the run of the mill fever, it's really not a, a dangerous thing per se, um, for, for most kids. Constipation is one that we see a lot and that's probably most related to diet. Uh, most of our kids don't have a, a healthy diet, particularly in the, in the South and state of Mississippi. And there's not enough fiber in the diet to really bulk things up and move things along like they should. And the longer those, uh, di- undigested contents remain in the intestines, uh, the harder things get. And uh, increasing the fiber intake can be one way to do that. There are a couple of medications to do that, but that's probably the best way is to ensure your child has a healthy diet that includes fiber. Uh, vaccinations, so that's one. We talked about just routine health visits, but vaccinations go along with that. Abdominal pain, you know, kids, they, they complain about belly pain, and belly pain doesn't have to be something that's going on in the belly. Migraine headaches that are uh, not not too common, but common in, um, in uh, pediatric ages, uh, they can present sometimes with belly pain. Strep throat can present with belly pain. So a lot of kids will just point to that belly button and say, I'm hurting here, and you got to be a real detective to try to figure that out. Other viral diseases are number 23. And then finally, remember I said this is 24, which really we counted otitis media twice. Uh, the last one will be pneumonia. And pneumonia, again, is a lower airway problem that uh, it can be caused by a virus, but a lot of times uh, caused by a bacteria. All right, that's all the time we have for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens today. Hey, shout out to my wife. Happy 21st anniversary, which is today. Um, If you see my wife, Mary Ellen, tell her happy anniversary. Southern Remedy Kids and Teens is a production of Mississippi Public Radio, Think Radio, and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from you, our listeners. I'm Dr. Jimmy. You can join us next Thursday at 11 for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, and stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.